I am going to nerd out about two things today. Two. One of them is music, and the other is talking about the parables. Because I love both of these subjects. And both of them are very, very, very daunting to even consider. If you are a musician, which I strive to be, you always will find one thing to nerd out about. And some guys nerd out about gear. Like they talk about, um, you know, I'm playing this kind of trumpet or playing this kind of guitar. I get very bored with that very quick. Because to go buy gear, I just need to go down to Sweetwater and spend about a thousand bucks. But I love, 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 everybody say love, talking about music theory. So if you ever thought I had any kind of like fiber of coolness in me left, it all is gone now. Because I love just looking at how we describe music and how it just happens. And I love, and I, I went and studied trumpet at the University of Oklahoma a long time ago, long, long, long time ago, and I wore the polyester on Saturday, so I am sooner born and sooner bred, and when I'm gone, I'll be sooner dead. <laughs> but the first thing, if you go to music school, you will learn is about Western music, our music, all kinds of our music on this side of the hemisphere is formulated around a mathematical formula. We observe it. We don't create it. We just observed it. And it looks kind of like this. It's called the harmonic series. It can get way more complicated than this, actually. And it's a mathematical formula that says that we capture sounds, and as the string goes faster, as the air moves faster through an imperfect instrument, we capture sounds that create sound, and it's called the harmonic series. In music, it looks like this. And literally, we don't create this. This is what I nerd out about. We don't create it. Like, no man or woman created this. We are just capturing it. And literally, it is instruments, whether it's wood, metal, or skin, drums, guitar, piano, trumpet, we literally are capturing this natural formula that it literally sounds like this. I'm going to play it for you. Is that all right? Okay. You notice I didn't even move my fingers, right? And that's called the harmonic series, and it does that. And there's like some notes in there that are imperfect. There are some notes that are, but the intervals, that is going to be the same. And what we do is we call one of those notes, we give them a name. And this one is called C. It's called the C harmonic series. But you can't really make a great melody out of that. Unless you want, like. That's about it. That's it. And so really, really smart people over time created instruments with frets, with valves, with other things, so we could take a bunch of these mathematical formulas, and they interchange and work together to create a melody. And so you get like, 
So, in other words, all of these harmonic series work together in relationship as they're captured in an imperfect instrument that doesn't always play every note in tune, but in order for this music to be created out of natural sounds that exist, like if you take a cymbal, this is, I love to do this when I was in high school. Once again, I didn't have any girlfriends in high school, obviously. (laughs) You could take a little cymbal, stick it beside your ear, and hit the edge of it, and you will hear all of those notes in that series at the same time. It is unbelievable. (laughs) So here's what it tells me. We don't create music. We capture it. Here's what else it tells me. That in order for us to create music, we need an imperfect vessel. This thing is bent. It's imperfect. It's got to have valves because it's got to compensate for some tuning. It's not perfect. And then thirdly, it tells me that these sounds don't become music until someone creates a melody that speaks to a people. Why am I so excited about this other than I'm just a nerd? Is if you have been coming here every Sunday this summer, you have heard we have not orchestrated it. I wish we could take advantage of that and say we did, but we didn't. I believe it's the Holy Spirit has been speaking to this church this summer. Is that throughout this summer, you've heard every speaker without exception has danced around this subject that our relationship with the kingdom of God and our inadequacies as a human do not have a consequence to perfection, that there is purpose in our pain, that there is purpose in our successes, that there is purpose in our struggles, that there is purpose in our loss, and that you have a very vital part to communicating the, the, uh, the unbelievable truths of the kingdom of God. Every speaker this summer has articulated that in one way or another. And so as we end this summer... And we're entering entering into another season here in the next months. I want to remind you, as I remind myself, that if the kingdom of God is to be heard, it was ordained to be spoken through imperfect vessels that are bent, that are dented, that have frets, that have twists, It is of God. And Jesus spoke about this. He goes, he talks about Matthew 13. And he said, and therefore he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's the greatest of shrubs and became a tree. So that the branches of that air come and make nests in its branches. Told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when someone found and hid. Then in his joy he comes and sells all that he has and buys the field. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, 
He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a net and was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. And when it was full, it drew ashore and sat down and put the good into the baskets and threw out the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous, throw them into the furnace of fire when there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very conflicting verse to end his story. But he's talking about the kingdom of God. Most... Most theologians believe that he talks about the kingdom of heaven here. The only time the kingdom of heaven is used is in the book of Matthew. And the reason they think is because his audience was a Jewish audience that would not say put God in writing. So he'd say kingdom of heaven. But theologians over the years have said kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are used interchangeably. And there's three interpretations usually historically. One The kingdom of God was Jesus himself representing the kingdom. The second interpretation by origin was that the kingdom represents the hearts and minds of the faithful captured by the love of God and the pursuit of Christian teaching. The third interpretation by Eusebius is that the kingdom represents the Christian church composed of the faithful. And if you keep reading about people's views on the kingdom of God for the next 1,700 years, you're going to run out of life reading people trying to understand this very, very complex diamond as it turns. But here's what I know. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It, no matter how small it starts, it's going to grow large enough to give shelter to everything under it and shelter to everything over it. Here's what else I know. The kingdom of God is like yeast. You and I, cannot impact negatively or positively the kingdom of God. No one can. The kingdom of God has lasted through history. When people love to talk to me about, this is the, my favorite subject about uh, um, part of the kingdom of God is because when people say, well, I don't believe in Christianity, it's usually about a second-year philosophy student in undergrad because <laughs> they've read two books <clears throat> on philosophy and one book on Christianity. And they'll say, you know, I don't believe in the, you know, Christianity because it started all wars. You know what's so powerful about the kingdom of God? Is I believe something is powerful and something is real if it corrects itself from its tenets from within it. So in other words, have there been racism in the church? Uh-huh. Is there? Uh, you probably. Has there been violence? Yes. Over the last 2,000 years, have there been things that have been embarrassing to say that was done by Christian people? Yes. But do you know what corrected it? The leaven inside of it said, if you are going to be this Christian, like Christ, you cannot be that. No one had to come to the Christian faith and say, don't do this, don't do that, because the greatest example of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ, and he is love embodied. And so no matter what the Christian faith walks through, no matter how dark it gets, no matter what it does, no matter where it goes, there's always going to be Christ at the center of it, auto-correcting it, saying, point back to where it is. That's why I love about the Christian church. Also says it's like the Christian church or the kingdom of God is like treasure. It's valuable. And the older I'm getting, I'm not, not very old, but I'm just getting old enough to know everything here is valuable. And the kingdom of God is like a merchant that says, 
I value a things and will give everything for things. The kingdom of God is like a net. It gathers indiscriminately into relationship in the end, knowing that it's God who judges, not me or you. I love this about the kingdom of God. And I just don't feel like I said it well enough. But I love it about the kingdom of God because the deeper you look on the the deeper you look on the inside of the kingdom of God, it will correct itself when it is off base. It will affirm itself when it is insecure. It will give it strength when it is feeling weak. It will raise it up when it has fallen. That's the beauty part. It springs up from right in the middle. And then Jesus closes out this passage by saying this. Have you understood all of this? And imbeciles here (laughs) said yes. Because over 2,000 years, a lot of people have read this and go, wow. So Jesus responds, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of God is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure. What is new? This is the amazing part. And what is old? Now, I have to tell you, I love this passage. Have I said that before? The reason I love this is because it reminds me that God has purposed everything in history, a place in his story, in the kingdom of God. That it's ever-growing, that it's sovereign, that it's transcendently valuable, that it searches for value, that it invites and gathers everyone, and it's even patient and discerning in judgment. This is the stuff of the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, the kingdom of God is not a history lesson. It isn't just talking about the past. It's the past, the present, and the future connected in invitation, connected in celebration, connected in judgment. And here's the best part of this story, everybody, that the chief scribe, the chief record keeper, the chief storyteller of this is Jesus Christ, the perfect scribe who's already ushered in the the kingdom of God, and he brings the old treasure in with the new. In other words, he connects one story, one vessel, one relationship. The gospel through Jesus connects all things old and new. I love this because it's made a way for renewal and restoration in humanity. I love this because It tells me that the kingdom is bigger than anything that will come against it. I love it because it's not dependent on anything outside to remain powerful. I love it because it values everyone. Even when sometimes its members do not. I love it because there is no discrimination in invitation even when sometimes there are among its members. I love the kingdom of God because Jesus is at the center of the whole thing, and I am not. That's why I love it. But I want to go back to this closing passage. Because Jesus says, 
Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. If you read this passage, it's saying every scribe. And here's the rub of this message. Man, if we were a Pentecostal church, we could have already sweat and had an altar call what I've preached so far. Because we love to talk about Jesus. We love to talk about the kingdom. But here's the rub. Every scribe, implying plural, who has been trained for the kingdom is like a master of the household. Here's the problem. Especially since we live in a very church town. I, I didn't realize how churched we were. I re, first of all, I'm going to say I love it because you get all the inside jokes when you talk to people about church. But literally, we went to, I may have told you this story before, but we went to a fundraiser right when we first moved here, and someone walked up and said, hey, how y'all doing? What church y'all attend? That was their first question. I leaned over to Regina. I was like, we are no longer in Austin, Texas. <laughs> But since this is a church town, and we all have deep connection to the gospel, intellectually at least, at the basest intellectual, but supernaturally, very deep connection to the kingdom of God, shouldn't this subject have us all relishing in the realities that we are a part of the kingdom of God? Should not we be walking in every week understanding we are a part of the kingdom of God? But most times, maybe just me, we're not. And I don't think it's because we don't love Jesus. I don't think it's because we don't love church. I do not think it's because we get out of bed thinking, how can I be a hypocrite today? I don't think it's because we love to be cynical about religion, although the most religious cultures tend to have the deepest cynicism. You know why? Because you know a little too much. I think not really embracing our role with the kingdom of God, it's easier to do all this other stuff than it is just to embrace that I am called to be a scribe because that's very risky. Because at the end of the day, the scripture tells us that even though we have nothing to do with creating the kingdom of God, God has called us to participate fully in telling the story of the kingdom of God. Not in words, but in living. Even the New Testament passages when it says, your conversation, let it be pure and clean. It's not talking about your words. That interpretation is it's about your life. You're all of life. Your conversation is all of your life. And we know that in an overly Christian environment, we know a little too much. We know we fall short. Don't expect me to actually participate in telling the story. Let's make our faith about consuming stories about Jesus. 
let's make church about function or aesthetic. Function, help me become a better person alone. You come tell me 10 ways to live my best life now. Or make church to where I can come and just get high on the crack pipe of Jesus (laughs) for 90 minutes and go back to my miserable life and hopefully I can get through the next six days and get back here. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. It's because I think we know what we are and I think we know what we are not. And so it's better yet, let's just turn this into practical advice on how to be great business people, ethical people, family people, better wives, better husbands. Let's create the ideal family that we all can look towards and say, that is the ideal family. That is how we should become. Let's create a system of ethics to where we can become better Americans or better French people or better, so wherever you live, we just want to be the best that we can be. We're going to be great people in society. The problem is, is it becomes this ideal that we can't really live up to. It isn't real. It's fake. It's false. It, it's, it's counterfeit. And we realize we can't be perfect. And so isn't the kingdom of God a sales pitch resting on the hope that everything in here gets better. Your marriage gets better here. And, and matter of fact, they're, they're, everyone here has two and a half kids and a white picket fence. Everyone here has a house. Everyone here has two-car garage. Everyone here is either is married because that is the goal is everyone must be married. Singleness can be a calling. Singleness can be something that we relish and celebrate and t- say that you have a value here. If you never choose to get married or you never get married, you don't have value here because only married people with two kids have value here. And somehow we make that somehow imperfect. Or if you can't have kids. Man, my wife and I used to hate Father's Day and Mother's Day. I really had to watch myself this year because I talked about Lily so much. I had to remember. We hated coming to church on those days. Because it's like, well, we'd like every mother to stand up in the house or whatever, you know. My wife would be sitting there like, oh, Give her a flower anyways, because she's a woman. But what if all of those things aren't imperfections? What if we're just vessels? And the kingdom of God is calling us just to simply be scribes about a story that is way bigger than us, that connects for thousands and thousands of years. What if our pain truly may not have a purpose to us? Well, what if it has a place? What if your unbelief may not ever get solved, but maybe what if you can understand that your unbelief still has a place in the story? What if those of us who are a little out of tune, feel like I'm always a little out of tune all the time, what if those of us 
have a place. Because we're not telling your story. We're telling his story. And you see, the actions of an imperfect scribe are simple. You see, if we make our faith about this perfection, about controlling, do you know what it's about? Control. We want to control the outcomes of what happens here. And unfortunately, we have been given brains that make good and bad decisions. And others make good and bad decisions. In some things, I don't have an explanation on why they happened. And all of that happens right here in the middle of it. And so eventually, you either got a choice. Either you're going to just dive in and make this a place of idealism to where we say there's an ideal that we go or you accept that you are not your own savior and we don't have to be our own Lord. All we have to do is just be a vessel. So the atheist here has a place here. The struggling person has a place here. The egotistical person has a place here. The racist has a place here. The broken has a place here. The young, the old, the middle, the middle-aged, the child, the, the disabled has a place here. You see, our story becomes the instrument that tells the song that was written by another. That's the beauty of an incomplete scribe telling a complete story. You don't have to be complete because you're connected to thousands and thousands of other incomplete scribes that are just telling their story. So what's the outreach plan for a church like this? is you don't need a flip chart. You don't need an out campaign. You know what you need to do is just simply walk. It's amazing that the first description of Adam and Eve in the Bible is they walked with God. The behavior accompanying restoration and renewal is simply walking. It's in that walking that you can confront with brokenness. You can have community with others. You can celebrate the good. You can mourn the loss. You can observe the wrong and stand up against injustice. It is in walking that you can embrace the right and you can forgive people others. It is in the walking that you can walk hand in hand and be reminded you're not alone. It is in the walking that you can embrace loneliness. It is in the walking that you can embrace pain. It is in the walking Because in walking, you actually tell the story better. Man, I am going to be a horrible, horrible old person. (laughs) Let me tell you why. I have a front porch right now, and I watch everybody who walks by our house. 
So when I'm going to re- be actually retired and have the time to do it, literally, Regina gets up from work and say, hey, you know uh, the people two down the street, you know? I don't think they're getting along because, you know, they're walking over to Starbucks and they're just not talking. Uh, you know, so-and-so, they had another kid. I just watched them. They're adding another kid walking through. You know, so-and-so, I think he's gained like 30 pounds since the last time I saw him walk past the house. Because in walking, you can't ignore telling. I would learn way more about you watching you just live Monday through Saturday than if I had you write out your testimony in a thousand words or less. Because walking does a whole lot of telling. Even in the Old Testament, Psalm 105, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all of his wonderful works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength and seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he's done, his miracles and his judgments, and he has uttered. Stop right there. That is a sermon whatsoever, and you can call an altar call. We can sweat, and we can all go home. But no, it doesn't stop there. It says this. O offspring of his servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is our Lord. His judgments are in all the earth. He is mindful of his covenant forever, of the word he has commanded for a thousand generations. So the covenant that he has made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel, as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your port portion for your inheritance. Praise the Lord. This passage ends. The proclamations of the identity of God are directly dependent in this passage on telling the story of his people. Most of the Old Testament is literally a reality show. The Kardashians would have nothing on Jacob's family. Seriously. David murdered someone in his army because he committed adultery with a man's wife. And yet David never quit walking in covenant in his life because in good or bad, he never quit walking. Jacob lived a life of total dysfunction. His family was a picture of dishonesty and dysfunction. Characters in the Bible struggled with every kind of unbelief, every kind of sin, and yet somehow they're in the story of, the, of that when Jesus said, I'm going to bring out the old and I'm going to bring out the new. He's also talking about all of those things as they're wrapped up in the kingdom of God. Because the church isn't a collection of events on Sundays. It's a collection of stories that span from generation to generation that scream, Jesus is among us. I want you to leave here today remembering only one thing. That as long as you are continuing to walk, your questions, your imperfections, your frailties, your loss, none of it disqualifies you from telling the story. None of it. Because it is part of the story. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Walking, telling the story. I have a lot of regrets for being a youth pastor. (laughs) I did a lot of, I was a youth pastor for eight years. 
one of the one of the regrets I have is that I couldn't go can't, can't go back and fix it was that I literally would just tell them one thing over and over stay stay if you could convince teenagers and 20-somethings that no matter what your disagreements are, no matter what your unbelief is, no matter what you're walking through, just stay. That You will find in the next 15 to 20 years that instead of dealing with real pain and problems alone, you would have done it in the story of loving people who will never reject you. Stay. I close with this. I have a hero. His name is Stephen Hunt. Stephen is a foreman at Allied Refrigeration where I served a couple days a week. I asked his permission to tell this story. Stephen went to prison for a crime. Stayed there quite a long time. Dug himself out. Got a job just as on a construction crew. Now he's worked his way to become a foreman. One of the most valued employees at Allied. I saw Stephen because one of our ladies here, her name is Lauren. We wanted to hear her sing because she was going to sing here. So she sang over at this ministry on Saturday nights. So I went over to hear her. Now look over and Stephen's standing right there. It looks, it was awesome. It was all these people just like crazy excited to be there. It was awesome. So Steve and I got to talking, hearing this story where every week he's dragging himself closer and closer and further and further away from where he's come from. I get a picture from Stephen last week. It's a ID for the Oklahoma prison systems that he's going back into the prisons to serve where he came out of. And he wept as he told me this story on a construction site, which made me a little uncomfortable. Because all Stephen's doing is returning. And he's gonna keep walking. So let me ask you a question. Are you qualified to be in the kingdom of God? Let me ask. Do you believe that no matter your situation or the situation in the world, the kingdom of God's powerful enough to grow? Do you believe that no matter what happens around us, that nothing can stop the spirit of God from springing up within our midst? Let me ask you. Do you believe that the kingdom of God is precious? Do you believe that the kingdom of God thinks all people are precious? Let me ask you, do you think the purpose of the kingdom of God is to gather and invite the good and the bad into a net while leaving the separation up to God and his ultimate will and plan? If so, then all you have to do is live your story with all its cracks and wrinkles, and in doing so, God will shine the brightest and his word will be heard the loudest.